In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Hey listeners, what's up? Jeff Zempfer. Welcome back to another episode of Mortgage Marketing Radio. So glad you're here. I am back from a vacation. I was uh, vacationing away up in Big Bear, California, the mountains of Southern California uh, with the fam and doing some zip lining and boating and uh, rented mountain bikes, these e-bikes, this mountain bike that has a, e a motor on it, right? An e-motor, an electric motor that allows you to go further and faster and higher. I rode 20 miles in two and a half hours and increased elevation of 2,000 feet and burned 2,000 calories. Couldn't have done that with a regular mountain bike, I'll tell you that. But man, if you ever get a chance to try those e-bikes out, that's awesome. So I hope you're taking some time uh, uh, during this summer, during this crazy market to at least, right, uh, relax, recharge, reconnect, because this is an incredible opportunity. We've got to um, you know, reap this harvest while it's here. Uh, but also, we've got to remember to take care of ourselves and our families and our loved ones. What are we working so hard for? Um, so be careful not to fall into that trap of constant 24-7 work. And uh, then, of course, uh, you know, getting back into this, I want, there's a couple of topics that I've been circling around in my head for quite a while. As you know, I, uh, I've been doing the weekly live show on Facebook. It's streamed over to YouTube. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you know, go to the Mortgage Marketing Institute page on Facebook. Or if you haven't joined the podcast group yet on Facebook, we've got a private group just for podcast listeners. We'll put links in the show notes. Uh, that's also on Facebook, Mortgage Marketing Radio Group, if you want to search that. And or YouTube. Um, go check out my YouTube channel um, because I'm going to be uh, adding some additional content there in the near future. I'll let you know when that is. And I've been thinking a lot about strategy, like content strategy with what I'm putting out. How's it working? By the way, I'd be curious to know from you guys listening, um, you know, now that we've mixed it up a bit and we're basically repurposing the Facebook live show, you know, the live show is being repurposed to a podcast like this, like you're listening to right now. So you're getting an audio only version of that. Um, I'd be curious to know if, if you like that or not, because I've had some, some thoughts about, you know, the future of content here for you guys, and I'd love your feedback. So feel free to email me anytime, uh, info at mortgagemarketinginstitute.com, or just message me on Facebook, probably the easiest thing to do as well. And let me know if you've got any comments, thoughts, suggestions about the content. And hey, if you do like the podcast, leave us a review if you don't mind, right? Wherever you're listening to this, a review helps me to know that you are getting value from the podcast. Um, okay. So that said, uh, one other quick thing I want to remind you of folks, if you, in today's world, post-COVID, right? Um, the refi boom. One of the things we've got to stay aware of you know, and be cognizant of is that with the refi boom that we don't let our realtor relationships go by the wayside. Now, if you're listening to me, then I assume to some degree you have realtors as one of the pillars in your business. It's not the only pillar, but it's one and is a, you know, one that's proven throughout the years to be 
um, profitable and consistent when done correctly. But oftentimes what I find is a lot of originators uh, have struggles or challenges with how do I approach realtors, they're cold calling, they're you know, um, meeting onesie twosie, et cetera. And since COVID, everything's changed. Meaning, you know, the face-to-face meetings, coffee meetings have pretty much gone away. The office presentations, lunch and learns have pretty much gone away. Will those come back? Yes. Uh, but it's a matter of when and how fast. So with that, um, I've got an incredible opportunity. If you don't know by now, we have an educational platform. It's called My Agent Classes. And what it is is a growing library of turnkey done-for-you classes that are ready to go, plug and play for you to just deliver over Zoom. Share your screen, the PowerPoint. We give you the talking points, the speaker notes, the transcript. I give you a video tutorial teaching you how to do the class. We give you marketing promotional uh, items like images and stuff, show you how to set it up on Facebook events, uh, tutorials on how to host a Zoom. I mean, literally, it is your educational platform in a box. And we uh, have been doing this now for quite a number of years. We've got lots of member success stories. Uh, At a minimum, a way for you to change the game, to no longer chase realtors, to no longer cold call realtors, to choose who you want to work with, to have a top of the funnel system for attracting and converting real estate agents. An educational platform has proven to be consistently, in my experience being in this in 2003, the best way to attract, build, and convert realtors to referrals and weed out the bottom feeders. So if you want to learn more about that, go check out mortgagemarketing.pro. There's a brief video I put up there and it'll give you an overview of what everything is all about. Um, Mortgagemarketing.pro and love to have you join, be a member there and help you uh, expand your influence, capture more agents and get more referrals, especially as the refis uh, die down, which they will in the coming months. And if you don't prepare now for that, if you're not, actively actively engaged with real estate agents, someone else is. All right, enough said about that. Let's get into this week's show. Um, we are, uh, this is a, a, a repurpose of the live show that we had with my special guest, Logan Marashami, who is an incredible person, incredibly knowledgeable. He is a housing data analyst with Housing Wire, financial writer and blogger. He's a recently retired mortgage professional as well, his family being in the business since the 80s. So he has an intimate knowledge of what it means to be a mortgage originator. Um, but his, his grasp and understanding of data and why the housing market's doing so well, why we're going to see interest rates perform well for the next several years, why there is no student debt crisis, et cetera, why and who are the biggest demographic patch of buyers in history and how you can capitalize on that. This has been an education on how to better understand rates, markets, what moves them, and a way to hopefully help you articulate when you're talking to clients and prospects um, to talk intelligently with them um, for those that you may hear, oh, I'm waiting for the housing market to go down. Oh, my rates are going to go, you know, whatever the case is, I believe more than ever, we need to have, as my friend Dave Savage says, advice versus price conversations, position ourselves as a knowledgeable authority. That's what's going to build trust. That's what's going to keep the relationship sticky and minimize the shopping that people are doing when they have to wait for the refi for 45 or 60 days. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, feel free to reach out uh, to me on the channels that uh, I talked about. And don't forget, the book is out. You want to go get Disrupt or Die? It makes a wonderful gift for real estate agents. A great read for, read for you, How to Survive and Thrive, the Digital Real Estate Shift. You can go to the website to get the book, which is disruptordiebook.com. That's it. Enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Logan Marashami, Housing Wire. Uh, at, you know, a contributor, 
uh, retired loan officer, data analyst extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's great to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, seriously, uh, you and I obviously have had some conversations prior to this, and I'm very um, blown away by uh, your uh, knowledge of data and recall. And let me just get check the uh, people watching live here. Mark Gelbin, what's up? High five to you, Mark. Good to see you here. Get ready to put your comments or questions in because we are talking about leading it off with, well, Logan, why don't you do this? Before I start with the first question, I kind of talked about the, I'd love you to give your version of your bio, who you are, uh, what are you all about? Well, I'm a retired loan officer. Our, uh, our family's had a mortgage company here in Southern California since 1987. And uh, just about a month ago, I, I retired. My father's still working. Our family in general has been in banking since the late 1950s. But about 10 years ago, I started a financial blog. I, I started to talk about housing and, and economics. And every year it kind of just got sharper and, and leaner. And then, you know, I did full blown basically data analyst work. And a lot of people kind of know me for that uh, more than being a loan officer. A lot of people were surprised that I, I, I've been a loan officer all these years. But uh, my job is charts all day, charts all night, total nerd fest. So uh, about economics, housing, everything like that, you know, uh, I'm the kind of the one man stop shop because it's 24 seven all the time. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. And for those that are looking to get better educated and informed on uh, the real story about housing, what impact interest rates or not, I definitely encourage you to follow Logan. We'll give you some of those links uh, before we wrap up here. But um, Logan, let's open it up with uh, you know the, the question I wanted to start with, which is why is the housing market doing so well? We're coming out of a pandemic, right? All these issues, job losses. So let's start with that. Why is the housing market performing so well? Well, in general, economics is demographics and productivity. The rest is kind of stamp collecting. But in housing, it's primarily demographics and mortgage rates. So right now in 2020, which is something I've talked about for eight years now, I thought this 2008 to 2019 housing would have the weakest recovery ever. But by years 2020 to 2024, we're going to have like a little sweet spot for about five years where we have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. And for somebody like myself and the people who follow my work, I've always believed in lower mortgage rates. So this is kind of it's happening this year. Now, of course, it gets tested by a global pandemic and a virus. And initially, everyone thought, well, housing's in a bubble, student loan debt crisis, housing has to go down. And I was like, uh-uh, no, just wait, right? You know, the virus can cause a lot of damage short-term to the economy, but it can't kill off the two things that really drives the housing markets. It's demographics and mortgage rates. So once, you know, after the first few weeks when purchase applications were going down to 20 30% year over year, we started to come back. And now the last seven weeks, we've had double-digit positive year-over-year growth, which is faster now than was before the coronavirus. And before COVID hit, you know, housing, new home sales cycle highs, existing home sales cycle highs, uh, housing starts were up 40% year-over-year in February. So it looks right to me. I think explaining the story why is really important because it takes these housing crash bubble people off the line. And usually these guys are just fraudulent grifters. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to stress uh, over the last few years. That's a, that's a, is that a term of endearment? Fraudulent grifters? <laughs> yes. Yes. Gold bugs and central bank people. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. So yeah, give us, give us some of the, the, the data behind this, you know, the story that's not often told in, in normal media about, you know, the housing market. What, what's, why is demographics favorable you know, for the you said a window for the next what twenty to twenty twenty two twenty four yeah years twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty four and the reason I the reason I say that is that the biggest age group 
ever recorded in US history are ages 26 to 32. Mm -hmm. So the first time median home buyer age is 33. Yep. So the notion that millennials aren't buying homes or that there's a student loan debt crisis and none of them are, this makes no sense. We've had basically roughly 6 million total home sales for years now. Uh, and, and, and it's not like Gen X is buying or the baby boomers are buying. It's millennials coming into their prime buying age. And I've always said this, you know, uh, to kind of explain it, people rent, they date, they mate, they marry three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. They, they do things a little bit later in life, but they mm. do them. So I, I think there, were, there was a, just a giant Titanic whiff on this millennials don't buy homes and there's a student loan debt crisis, there's an affordability crisis. We had 648 uh, economic crisis events in the last 10 years. Uh, and we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And the only thing that shut this economy down was a global pandemic virus. So I uh, don't believe the hype uh, of the doom and gloom tellers. You know, we've always had groups like this since 1790 in America. The American bears have failed every decade uh, since then. So follow math, facts, and data. Follow, follow people that believe in economic models. Right? And I always ask a bear, what's your economic model for recession? Why is housing going to crash? They're just going to tell you the same thing. Mm. The Fed, the Fed, the Fed, gold, 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 debt, debt, right. debt. Right. Hasn't worked. So you're saying don't follow that. Follow the demographics. Follow, follow demographics and mortgage rates. Mortgage rates get above four and a half percent. Housing slows down. So you know mm -hmm. the people that say, "Well, mortgage rates are historically low." Well, when you when you're working with a certain kind of supply and demand equilibrium, mortgage rates above four and a half percent in 2013, 2014 slowed the market. In 2018, it, it slowed the market. Uh, so just remember that the, if things aren't you know don't use previous models or previous interest rates. Work with what you have right now. And, and be careful of the doom and gloom housing crowd. You know, they're, they're, mm. they're, that's kind of how they make their living. And it's just hasn't happened. And this year is a prime example of that demographics and mortgage rates matter more. Yeah. So you said mortgage rates, when they get to about four and a half percent, can slow uh, the housing can market. Slow, yeah. Yeah. They can Which, slow the housing market. They can't collapse the market, but it right. definitely does slow the market. So I always tell people when the 10 year yield gets above 2.62%, be mindful of that. You know, some people go, oh, don't worry that historically these are low yields. No, there are, there are levels, especially in hot coastal areas uh, where uh, a demand gets, demand slows down and supply does increase. Um, so, you know, for those of us that have a long view of history, knowing that, I mean, my perspective is four and a half percent is still very cheap money, right? In terms of comparatively what interest rates were back in the 80s and all that when we had inflation, mm -hmm. right? We had double digit interest rates. Do you foresee, uh, because to, to, to your point about, let's look at the models for currently where we are in the world. I mean, do you foresee any situation where we would get back to that situation of double digits? If I see 6% mortgage rates ever in my life, and I'm 44, mm -hmm. I will be shocked, <laughs> shocked beyond belief. Really? I mean, we, we must have done some kind of massive government stimulus spending plan to get growth back to those levels. Because what, uh, you know, since 1981, if you look at the chart of the 10 year yield, it's been going down every single right. cycle. It's never broken that downtrend. And it shouldn't because the world is older. We're an older country. Demographics and technology are deflationary. Population growth is slowing down. We're not going to get the kind of the, the growth rates or the inflation rates that people are, are, are thinking that would go inside with high mortgage rates. So um, and the United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world. It just gets too strong in, in bad times. So no, I mean, I would honestly be shocked if I saw 6% mortgage rates in my lifetime. 
So do you have any concerns with, you know, Fed buying mortgage-backed securities, right? And, and as we hear the term, keeping rates artificially low? No, uh, artificially low is, is, is one of these uh, gold bug grifting uh, tactics that they've used forever. So it's just, it's just not, I mean, if you think about it, mortgage rates and interest rates have been falling for decades. And this is yeah. the Fed started their QE in 2010. So the QE actually ended in 2014 and actually yields rise right after that. So it, it, again, it, ignore people that used Fed, gold and inflation. Mm. If you take those three, if you just ignore people that use those three, then you're going to be okay. But when you start to say the Fed that keeps artificial rates, these are all marketing gimmicks fear, yeah. fear, doom and gloom. And so, uh, and they failed really. I mean, the, yeah. we just had the longest expansion ever in history. And if it wasn't for this virus, we'd still be moving along. Mm. Um, so you mentioned a moment ago about we don't have a, a student loan debt crisis, and you've shared some specific data around why that is. And I think that goes into your, your point about perception and media. Let's talk about some real facts when it comes to student loan debt crisis. Break that down. So when people talk about student loan debt crisis, that Americans can't buy homes because they have too much student loan debt, what they don't show is actually they break down the data. And when you break down the data, you see that like 72% of the people that have student loan debt are actually under 17,000. Uh, the people that have a lot of stress with their student loan debt are mostly college dropouts. And then the balance is roughly 10,000. So you're talking about people that never finished college and don't have, you know, when you finish college, you have debt, but you have the income capacity usually with that debt. That's why college educated Americans make more money than everyone else. That's why college educated uh, Americans actually have more financial assets. So you, when you break down the data, the people that go to school, that finish school, that go to work right away, that have very low unemployment rates, they're okay. But if you talk about people that took on debt that never finished school, even though the debt size isn't that big, that's where the stress is. So it's not like baby boomers are buying all these homes or Gen X are buying these homes. It's millennials that are coming into their kind of first time home, home buyer age and they go to college. So, I mean, you can make a case that some of these people just can't buy bigger homes because the debt payments or the debt balance is too much. But the notion that student loan debt crisis was here when we just had the longest job expansion, longest economic expansion, and now housing is the single most outperforming uh, economic sector in the world mm -hmm. shows that something was really wrong with that thesis. And that's something I've been talking about for many years now. So uh, how about the job loss situation, right? Wh wh whatever that number was, I'm sure you know it better than I, 40 some odd million. Uh, what's the impact? Yeah, well, well, here's the thing. You, we have jobless claims are running about over 40 million if you combine them. Uh, continuing claims are a little bit over 18 million. But one of the things that if you looked at the job losses, a lot of these are tied to what I call renter households and, and people that are future renters. Mm -hmm. And um, immediately the doom and gloom people said, oh, look at these major job losses. It doesn't impact homeowners as much. But I think what, what we see a lot is, especially on Twitter finance or on financial media, labor economists and economists in general focus on the unemployed people. But they never talk about that there's 138 million people still working, right? right? So if, if people go, how could housing have double digit? There's 138 million people working. And the key is the, more, the housing market just needs 4 million mortgage buyers per year to keep demand stable. And this yeah. is why 2020, as soon as we, as soon as you got this fear out of this virus, out of, we just go back to, because it's not like the car, car sales market where you need 17 or 18 million to create new highs. You need 4 million mortgage buyers per year. And then, you know, you, you still have a very high level of cash buyers in the market. And that's how you keep uh, sales demand stable. And that's why you don't see this 
parabolic spike in inventory. And even with the forbearance plan, it, mm. it, it, it's still people are homeowners now are in much better spot than they were in 2003 to 2008, where it was a credit bubble. And we did not have a credit consumer bubble going into this crisis. So if we had a time in history where a global pandemic uh, occurs, this is not a bad time to have it because we have a lot of fiscal space. We can borrow a lot of money. We can help people. Interest rates are low. Inflation is low. But the demographics are favorable. And this is one of the reasons why you see some of these data just sharply rebound up. Once you get this virus out of the system, game is on again. Right. And we go back to, you know, uh, some of the uh, old school thinking of what's going to create a recession that never happened. So when you say game back on again, once we get out of this virus, I mean, you and I both know the mortgage industry is incredibly hot right now. The housing industry is on fire. What does that mean? Does that mean it's going to get even busier? Well, I, I, one of the things that people are going to have to realize that once we got the sharp rebound uh, uh, in purchase applications, yeah. and then we're going to flatten out because we're we're at cycle highs. I mean, yeah. pre-cycle highs. We're already showing double-digit growth. We're we're already here, right? We're the only sector that is actually for eight weeks have been uh, showing double-digit growth right now. So uh, at, at that point, it becomes basically a traditional or a, what I call as Act Four Housing 2020. You know, so it's not like, you know, we're going to be working from a very low level for a long time. We already had the V-shaped recovery. It already happened. So you're not, you know, we were looking at probably 6.4 million total home sales uh -huh. before, you know, this crisis hit. So you just want existing home sales to kind of be above 4.6 million. The new home sales market yesterday, the new home sales purchase applications were showing 54% year over year growth. You get 700,000 right there. It's a stable marketplace. And then we got to deal with the virus and then what's going to happen in 2021. But for right now, the, the, it's pretty much done. We, the legwork is done. All we need to see is flat to positive purchase application year over year data for the rest of the year. Housing should be okay because we already did the V-shaped recovery already. Interesting. So we came in and out of this, the, the rebound from the pandemic pretty quickly? After three weeks. Yeah. The purchase application data started to show its recovery. That's, That's because all it social distancing was rolled back. People could go out, could go out and look at homes again. Well, they could look, they could look at a house, but in general, you know, people were still buying and selling homes across sure. the country. You know, every right. state, every state kind of had their own kind of lockdowns, but right. you know, technology and productivity and everything, you know, the, the, the world has changed so much that you could still do deals. Right. But I, th I think the big thing is that, and what I try to tell people credit still flowed. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's that's the most important thing in, in, mm -hmm. in economic cycles for America. Uh, we had a mortgage market meltdown in March 9th. You know, rates did go up. Some of the non-QM lenders were gone. Low FICO score, FHA, jumbo markets. But that's, I, I always talk about it. That's about 4.5 to 6.2% of the marketplace. Freddie and Fannie, because they are not publicly traded companies and, and uh, uh, out of uh, government conservatorship, were able to keep the market flowing. And this is why I'm a big advocate let these two giants stay with the government because if they were mm -hmm. publicly traded companies, our stocks would have gone down, yep. credit would have tightened. We we would have not had this V-shaped recovery. You wouldn't have seen the forbearance plans because the government has the ability to take losses on their books. Mm. It, it, these two things, these two giants should not be publicly traded because we probably would have had to do congressional hearings, get them back into conservatorship. We would have wasted it a lot of times, but no. After three weeks, you could kind of see purchase application decline stop. We started to slowly get back up. In the last eight weeks, we're positive. The last seven weeks are actually showing double-digit year-over-year growth. And we still have a virus out here, and we're now seeing more states do more lockdown protocols and taking some of the reopenings back. 
so the, you know what we're going through right now with the, with the uh, you know uh, the, the housing price increase, the the uh, appetite, right, the activity levels. You know, I, and of course, people tend to look back to 2008 and all that kind of stuff. And I know this isn't the same thing, so I'm not, you know, delusional to think that. But what about? I mean, where is the end for housing prices? Like you and I've talked before, SoCal, California, coastal cities, and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's outrageous. At some point, right? Doesn't yeah. you know what I'm saying? The market here's, correction. Here's the thing. Last year the housing market was like a Van Gogh and a Monet put together. Nobody realized it. What happened was that mortgage rates had gone up. Uh, the start of the year inventory increased year over year, just slightly, nothing dramatic. Demand was down slightly. The rate of growth of home prices actually went negative when you adjusted to inflation, the equivalence of rents. I thought that was the one of the best things we could ever see. I'm a big believer that real home prices, if they stay negative, is good for housing long-term because we're getting to the point, if you look at per capita income and home prices, we're kind of right there where you know it's almost connected right now. During the housing bubble years, home prices just blew well, well above uh, per, per capita income. So, mm. and it was a credit bubble, but we're talking about three years, really, 2002 to 2005, real home prices were uh, double digits. We only had that one year in, in the previous expansion. That was 2013. And what happened in 2013? Mortgage rates just got to four and a quarter, four and a half. That yeah. rate of growth slowed down dramatically. So uh, it, if you look at home prices on a year-over-year -year basis, look at it adjusting to inflation, what we saw from 2012 to 2020 looks nothing like what we saw from 2002 to 2005. So uh, my fear always in mm. years 2020 to 2024 was that home prices would escalate higher too much. Now, mm -hmm. I think the virus has calmed that down. So I, I, I'm going I'm to put kind of a, let's worry about that if it gets there. But because you have this massive demographic patch and then you have low interest rates and housing tenure, I think that's the story. If you, if you had one main story about housing in the last 10 years, people are just staying in their homes longer and longer. Right. which means that the some of the supply uh, 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 that you would normally see, people just don't need to move. It's right. not like they're locked down on mortgages, but they just don't need to move. We've had bigger and bigger homes for many decades. People just stay put. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could, could you know get to really hot home prices. But I think for now, uh, it'll be okay because the, the virus has impacted demand to a degree. And you know uh, um, if we saw real home prices going back 5 6 uh, 7%, not a good sign, you know, and initially when we started off the year, home prices, especially the NAR data was way too hot, but it's kind of come back down. So we're in a good spot right here. Mm, interesting. So, so far income wages is keeping up then with home prices. We're, yeah, we're at the point to where, you know, if home prices still, you know, outpace uh, per capita income, we're, we're at troubles. But for, for the longest time, you know, per capita income was actually above home prices. No, not a lot of people know that because it takes the doom and gloom story away. And this is one of the reasons why we had the longest job expansion, longest economic expansion. We've got 6 million total home sales, new and existing homes, mortgage purchase applications have been rising since 2014. And now we've got the demographic patch, the one time in history right here where we have low rates and the biggest housing demographic patch ever. All right. So put your loan officer cap on for a moment um, and, and, and harken back to maybe some of the comments or questions you've heard from consumers over the years, knowing our, our audience is mostly loan originators. Um, throw a couple of comments at you. Well, I'm just waiting for the housing market to come down. <laughs> yeah, You're a loan officer. What do you say to that? Yeah. Well, 
it's the number one question I get, you yeah. know, from real estate agents. How do I explain to my, you know, uh, clients that, you know, housing is in a bubble? And I actually have, I, I always use the, the Case Shiller year over year real home price growth. And you can kind of see there's nothing here. There's nothing like what we saw in 2002 to 2003. And a good point, a good reference, uh, what I tell real estate agents and loan officers, we had 7.26 million existing home sales at the peak in 2005. We had a million new homes. That's a credit bubble, right? Yeah. Non-owning capacity debt. We just had the weakest housing recovery ever. I'm talking about new home sales and housing starts. So there isn't this big demand. And I think this is, this is what happened in 2020. You we're not working from such an elevated level that sales are just going to collapse and inventories is going to go up. So kind of use those metrics. And that's been right. That's been right for the last eight years. The people that are talking about prices have to come down. Uh, it's a bubble. It's going to crash. They've been wrong because they don't have any economic models. They just simply say the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates all you know low and you know mm -hmm. rates are going to go up inflation. Wrong. Four decades have been wrong uh, out here. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even talking about just the gold bond. Economists and housing economists, everybody has been wrong for four decades because all they need to do is look at the chart. There was never any time that we kind of broke that downtrend going up. So yeah. I tell people, I don't, I you most likely see one, a one handle on mortgage rates before you see six uh, handle on mortgage rates. Yeah. So I was just going to ask you, you know, I talked the other day is you, um, you, you, you are bullish on rates going even lower than they currently are. Well, mortgage rates should be lower right now than what they are. The, the business of doing mortgages and rates just went haywire. And, you know, we had margin calls, we had early payoffs. Mm -hmm. You had basically 90% of production in, in America basically at risk for an early payoff. There's no way they're going to let that go down. So I would, I'm, I'm curious to see where mortgage rates are going to go after September, because after September, that six months EPO payments, it's pretty much gone. You might see a little bit of loosening in mortgage rates, even if the 10 year yield stays right here. And kind of before before we had this big collapse in, in bond yields, I talked about my recessionary yields are about uh, negative 21 basis points. Yes, negative on the 10-year and 62 basis points. That's where I think the 10-year yield should be. The fact that a 10-year yield just refuses to go below 62 basis points shows me that the bond market, the stock market, the markets are saying that credit stress has been relieved. You know, once you get through this virus, the U.S. economy is coming back. Some of the data, you kind of see that right now. But after September, maybe rates come down a half a percent a quarter. Uh, but, you know, I could go as low as 1.875 on the third year uh, based on just those that negative 10 year yield forecast. After that, I think that, that's not, and I'm talking that, that might be a very brief amount of time. So we're kind of almost toward the end. Just remember that every housing cycle is at 2% plus lower mortgage rates uh, with duration to expand it. For that to happen again, you need about a one and a quarter to two and a quarter, 30 year fix for about five or six years. Most likely that's not going to be the case uh, just because the business of doing loans is just going to be worth it. And money is just not going to flow there. You, no matter how much the Fed pre presses it, it's just probably not going to see that. So we're entering a new era in terms of you don't need mortgage rates to go back to five to six percent. If they stop going lower like they have, it's going to be a little bit different. So that's why home prices going out in the future, it's going to be a little bit different than what we saw just because we're not working from a bubble crash anymore. And the, the, the chances of mortgage rates dropping another uh, 2% staying there is, is very unlikely. Wow. So uh, very positive news uh, for those that are in the real estate and mortgage business over the next four or five years. 
Yeah, for purchases it is. For for refinances, I think we we just took another wave of supply off. Uh, uh, and it's unless you get unless the economy goes into a double dip recession, uh, uh, that supply refinances are, are are going off. But then it, even when the ten year yields rise, so I think one point nine four percent might be the high point for for some time. You're creating more supply again, and we just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's kind of what happened uh, in 2017 and 2018 when the 10 year yield was higher. You, you created more supply for refinances, and then right away when the 10 year yield goes back down, that's your refinance supply. But, but purchase applications, housing demand should, should be okay mm. in, in this period. I, I've always talked about this period that you have great replacement buyers, but if the first time owner is moving up, then you have an, an extra layer of demand. And I think that's what we saw in 2020 in the first two months you saw that extra layer of demand and then even for myself uh, home sales were 300,000 above where i thought would would they would be so the, the demand is there right you know as long as mortgage rates stay below four and a half percent it should be okay just because the massive demographic patch and the first time owner is actually in a much better spot than what they were from 2003 to 2008. Hmm, very cool. Well, look, in closing out, I want to spend just a couple of minutes on talking about data and how to leverage data to, you know, uh, increase your influence, grow your brand. You obviously uh, are, are passionate about data, but if you share just a couple of uh, points for those loan officers watching, because, I mean, you, you've been around long enough to know this isn't the first time that, uh, you know, you've heard somebody say, um, you've got to, in, to, in this market, right, you've got to really position yourself as an authority, right, to understand, like you say, what moves mortgage rates, what's really going on with the housing market. Um, how, can we, how can loan officers be better at equip, equipping themselves to understand data so they can have more intelligent conversations? Yeah. Americans are two different things. Copy and paste people, which are a lot of people. They, um, we, we got that game down. We, yeah. we like to copy and paste stuff all the time on social media. That's our, that's our pastime. Mm. Anybody can do that. But if you want to learn about why mortgage rates are, are low, why the housing market is holding up, then you, you become yourself, you know, uh, mm. uh, uh, somebody of authority. And then you can draw more people towards you because, because if you're trying to sell doom and gloom you're just you're just another kind of boy band troll that's been here since 1790 talking trash about america all the way until you die okay we've got we've got millions of those yeah. but if you want to up your game learn why find out why something is happening because anybody could just copy and paste stuff and put it around everywhere you know yeah. and, and doom and gloom sells find out why so people could come to you they could trust you right if, if soon as people trust you and they think you know what then you could go into your kind of talking about your, your business and, and, and why people should go to you. But use this, use this time in history when information is so available and right. learn why. Because once you get that trust and then that word goes out, you know, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not you know, selling and, you know, uh, doom and gloom or he's not trying to get you to use his website. Learn, find out the why for something and be better than the 99% who just copy and paste out there. A hundred percent. Amen. And it's really reminds me of my friend, you know, Dave Savage, who uh, coined a phrase, I believe, you know, uh, to have more uh, advice versus price conversations with your clients. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to be informed. So I want to give a shout out to a couple of resources. First and foremost, let me show this on the screen here is your website. Uh, people should, and I put it here in the, the comments as well. People should number one, go there and subscribe because that's an incredible place, a learning place to to better understand what moves markets, what's going on, right? With somebody of your, uh, you know, broad uh, understanding of all that. So, um, 
loganmatashami.com. And then also, of course, let's not forget to mention Housing Wire. You are an analyst for Housing Wire. And so anybody, I think, listening to this live on the replay on the audio, if you're not a subscriber to Housing Wire, particularly their Pulse um, and other tools and resources they have there, you just should definitely subscribe to Housing Wire because I get the emails every day, right? The updates and notifications. And it's just, we've got to be better educated, I think, as a profession um, because, you know, people often come to me for like the sales and marketing stuff, right? Scripting or, hey, how do I deal with rate shoppers in this? How you deal with them is you be more informed, be more educated and demonstrate that for people. You will win trust mm -hmm. and influence by doing that. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and for, for everyone, just if, if you just Google my name, my Facebook page is open to the public. My Instagram, I do Insta stories. It, it, it's 24 seven nerd live all the time. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't sell anything. I the name of your show, 24 seven nerd. Yeah. I, yeah I, I'm just, there's my blog is free. There's no advertising, no nothing. Uh, my job is to teach. Yeah. And this is my, the ex high school basketball coach in me right here. My job is to teach you why. Uh, something is happening. I, I I don't care about the price or how to get to somewhere. I want you to understand that, you know, how, why is something happening? And that's the most important part, because then that means you got the knowledge yourself and then you could pass that on instead of copying and pasting doom and gloom sites and then, right you know, on. sharing that up. Right on. So once again, uh, hey, people, don't forget, if you want to get a copy of the book, there it is, disruptordie.com, disruptordiebook.com. Uh, we want to thank Logan and uh, Housing Wire for teaming up on this. More good stuff to come as a collaboration between us and Housing Wire. So Logan, once again, man, the, the, an amazing the audience. The audience went wild. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Hey, you know what to do. We'll see you on the next time. Same bad time, same bad channel. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. Hey guys, what's up real quick. Uh, you've heard about the mortgage marketing pro membership before. And I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business. Let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents, butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call, we'll have a chat, we'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.